0: Welcome to the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. Each episode, we bring you powerful conversations with thought leaders in the dental, veterinary, optometry, and medical industries. At Fortune Management, we coach doctors and teams to have an extraordinary practice and an extraordinary life. I'm Kim McGuire, host of the Practice Mastery Podcast. Today, I'm pleased to have our good friend Ali Aramkian on our show. Ali is the founding attorney of the Dental and Medical Council law firm and legal consultant for HR for Health. He is dedicated to improving the lives of all dentists, veterinarians, optometrists, and MDs by ensuring their compliance with complex and ever-changing employment laws. In this episode, Ali shows us the three most important areas of human resources that every doctor must know about. And now, here's our conversation with Ali. Welcome, Ali. Thank you,
1: Kim. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, it's so awesome to have you on the Fortune Management Practice Mastery Podcast. And one of the things I know that doctors that are in private healthcare practice, um, human resources tends to be quite a challenge for them. It's one of the daunting issues that either they don't ever deal with until they have to or until it sneaks up on them. Is that right?
1: Oh my gosh, Kim, you're so right about this. This is by far now the number one threat to any healthcare practitioner. You know, a few years ago, about five years ago, the the, the threat was malpractice. And we saw this across all the different verticals. But with a lot of the clinical education and continuing education that's out there um, for our doctors, we see that as really sort of a non-issue now. And, and, and HR is definitely number one. A a lot of our doctors are getting sued for, for, for various things and, 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 and they're all pretty easy solutions to avoid, but, but definitely a huge threat.
0: Absolutely. So I'm gl- so glad to have you on. We w- we are going to go into some very specific uh, tips. But you're really you're an attorney, and you consult with um, with HR for health and with other uh, companies out there. Um, and you really are an attorney for doctors and private healthcare practices. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Our practice uh, at uh, at our law firm is, is just specialized in healthcare. That's all we do. Um, and even in that um, even in that regard, we we subspecialize in that. We only work really on on business uh, contract legal issues like partnerships and leases. Uh, we do a lot of employment law, obviously, and a lot of estate planning. So so we're we're even more you know specialized even in healthcare to just those three areas.
0: Okay, wonderful. So tell me, Ali, how did you get into this field?
1: You know, I think I
0: I think it goes back
1: to uh, I think it goes back to my childhood. To be quite honest, you know, my 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 dad and and you know was sort of swindled. You know, he was a physician, and he was sort of swindled by a family member. And and growing up, I kind of realized that I never wanted my family um, to 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 experience something like that. And and I felt like I needed to protect my family. And so that's how I got into the law. And then my sort of trans, you know, transformation into a healthcare lawyer, I think was just natural. You know, my wife is a pediatric dentist and I was working with a lot of her classmates and, and residents and, and, um, and, and it just sort of, uh, it all sort of just came together. And, and the fact that my dad was a physician and what happened to him uh, led me to the law. And now I'm working with doctors. It's, kind of like a full circle for me. And, and I have to tell you, I, I enjoy it every day because I, I really feel like we're making a difference in our doctor's lives in so many different ways. Um, and not just by being a lawyer, but being really a you know an advisor to them on, on a lot of different things.
0: So. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I can, I can tell the passion in your voice. I love it. I didn't realize that your father was a physician and of course your wife being a pediatric dentist, that it does come full circle. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: So tell me, Ali, what do you see happening in healthcare today as far as the legal issues go? You know, you know, Kim, it's it's really
1: interesting because right now there's a ton of consolidation of practices and small groups are forming um, to really take advantage of efficiencies of scale, preferential pricing from vendors, and and we're seeing that a lot now, especially in dental optometry and and, and in the vet world. Um, the physicians obviously have been doing this for, for quite some time, and this whole idea of the group practice has been somewhat of a taboo topic in healthcare, and, but I think we've learned a lot about what has gone well and what hasn't gone so well in the physician world, and, and now we're seeing, um, we're seeing some steps sort of in that direction where a lot of doctors are, are moving in, in to consolidate their practices and, and form small groups.
0: Sure, and I know most, if if not all, of the doctors that we work with at Fortune Management really are those sole proprietors, and, and they, some of them, you know, are many of them are entrepreneurial minded. They want to have their own practice, so HR is one of the issues that they that they have to deal with. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it's one of the things that I think as a solo practitioner or as a small, you know, as a small group of partners getting together, I, I think efficiencies. With regard to systems, which I know is a big um, aspect of what Fortune talks about nationwide, is so important. Because if you don't have these systems, whether it's in practice management or hygiene or HR, then you're really leaving yourself open to a lot of vulnerabilities and, and, and a lot of um, extra costs that you don't really need. And so, so that's one of the positives, I think, of, of what's happening right now in in healthcare.
0: Okay, great. and what do you think of is one of the biggest challenges that are facing doctors in private practice today?
1: Well, you know I think I think HR you know in any size that you're dealing with is 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 by far the number one challenge. I mean no one no no one likes to do HR right no one likes to push paper, no one likes to do performance reviews and, right. you know and, and review employment manuals but but it's really um, it's really a threat and it and we see sadly so many of our Either younger doctors on one side of the spectrum who are getting in trouble for for maybe not doing things as they need to with regard to their state laws, or even now um, the silent killer, as I like to call it, Kim, which is sort of the older doctors, the doctors who mm. are you know about to retire or who do retire, and then the, um, their employees come back and sue them in retirement because you know the statute of limitations for a lot of these HR violations are three, sometimes four years. Oh. So so it's a it's a real um it's a real risk, you know, and, and I'll tell you the saddest things that I have to deal with are when you know we have a doctor who gets a letter from some you know some plaintiff's lawyer and, and he's asking for a hundred thousand dollars of you know in damages and penalties and things. It's it's a life changer. Oh. You know so. Yes,
0: especially if you've already retired. And yeah, a hundred grand can make a huge difference to anyone. Um, and, I, and also, yeah. of course, our the private practices don't have an HR department. They don't even usually have one person that is solely in charge of HR. It may be an office manager. He or she has a portion of their job in charge of HR. So it's a big issue.
1: Oh my gosh, that's exactly right. And you know, we kind of joke that you know, in, in you know, a lot of these HR laws nationwide were created with the Fortune 1,000 companies in mind, where they have, like you said, an HR department and multiple people in them. But the, the the truth is, a lot of those laws, almost almost all of those laws, apply to the solo practitioner or small group practices as well. So now, you know, you've got a doctor who. Is clinically very strong, but has had very little business education in school. Has had almost no education in HR coming out, and they're, um, you know, they're asked to know all these details. And you know, this is one of the reasons why. uh, This is one of the main reasons why we, we we're such proponents of the HR for health system, because I really think it's the one way that they can get an advantage over. Um, over some of these more complex laws, which is, hey, let's get a turnkey solution and let's just put it in place so that I know I have peace of mind of knowing I'm, you know, I'm safe.
0: Right. So I really want to give our listeners some practical advice. What are a couple of the major HR issues that you're seeing, Ali, in healthcare practices today? So there's really three
1: major issues that we um, we think are are threatening our doctors and something that that I talk about a lot. One is by far the most common type of HR lawsuit, which is a wage an hour lawsuit. Uh, and what basically that means, Kim, is is a doctor in one way or another hasn't either paid uh, overtime correctly, given lunches or breaks as they should have? Um, or not given a final paycheck when they should have given a final paycheck, and all these things vary state to state. You know, some states are a lot more difficult to be compliant with. You know, such as California, and some states like Georgia or Florida are a little bit easier. You know, with regard to this. But there's one common, you know, one one common theme, which is every state has its unique aspects, and. And it's almost like we find those unique aspects and, and our doctors violate those, those specific things. <laughs> and, and, and so there's always these little, you know, things that, that trip them up. Um, and so, so wage and hours is, is by far most common. And, you know, it's, it's so common that a lot of the insurance companies out there, a lot of the insurance companies out there are, are, are not covering wage and hours part of their uh, policies, Right. So, so, so it's a real threat. It's a real issue, and and there's some real easy strategies to to get compliant. But but I would say that's number one.
0: Okay. So the wage per hour. So in other words, in, in I know it varies from state to state, and clearly we have clients and listeners from all across the fifty states and internationally. Um, but generally, for instance, if somebody works an eight-hour day, they need a certain amount of time for lunch, right, or a certain amount of breaks. Isn't that what you're talking about? That's exactly
1: right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Usually in most states, and there's there's some variances here, but but in most states, if somebody's working like a seven to eight hour day, they need to be given lunch between the fourth and fifth hours of the day.
0: And does it matter if it's 30 or 60 minutes?
1: Uh, Usually the minimum is 30 minutes.
0: Minimum is thirty minutes. Okay. Thirty.
1: Yeah. Minimum is thirty minutes. Now, there are some states. There are some states where you don't actually even have to provide a lunch to to them. Those are rare. And and you know. And I always say, even even if you don't have to give lunch, please give lunch to your <laughs> team members. You know, they they need to eat. Right. <laughs> I know. You don't want cranky employees.
0: So. Well, that's what I always say. We promote, you know. An extraordinary practice extraordinary life. And having an extraordinary life means you keep your health up to date, which means you're eating throughout the day and not starving yourself and right. taking a break. Absolutely. but And we know in healthcare, a, a procedure may run late or an emergency comes in. I mean, whether you're in a veterinarian practice, optometry, dental. So these things happen. So the practice really has to do a good job then of having each team member manage their day and know, yep. okay, guys, I need to take a break. Correct? That's
1: exactly yeah. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And and it's 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 about those kinds of systems that you're 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 referring to Kim that really make the difference between a practice that really thrives and is, you know, at the top of the pinnacle versus one that's just sort of going along and and doing, you know, sort of the normal things but never really, you know, thriving because because it all starts and ends with the employees as as I know you know, you and and, and Fortune, you know, really believe in and and, and promote as well.
0: Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about overtime. I know every state has a different law. Mm
1: -hmm. Here in
0: Colorado, I think it's anything over 40 hours for the week. Other states, isn't it over eight hours a day? How does that, how does that look?
1: That's right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Every every state has, has more or less its, its different laws. And in a state like, let's say, California, the rule is eight hours in a day or, or 40 hours in the week. Um, and uh, and so there's sort of a double trigger there. And then there's, a, I think, about six or seven states that fall under that that formula. Um, a lot of states nationwide, like Colorado, you know, follow the federal rules, which basically says that it's the 40-hour week, um, so there's no daily uh, requirement. But the thing we have to always remember with overtime, regardless of what the rule is, is that it's a mandatory non-waivable benefit. In other words, even if an employee doesn't want to be paid overtime, and let's say they're, they're in a state like Colorado where they go over 40, you have to pay them overtime right? And mm-hmm. even if they say, no, no, doctor, you're so generous. You know, I love you. I've been with you for 20 years. Don't pay <laughs> me overtime. It's like, no, 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 you must pay it, okay. right? You must pay it. And, and, and if you need to work, you know, if somebody's doing it and, and you know, it's a becoming a problem, then you can, of course, use, use that as a um, performance sort of improvement uh, plan or a policy violation if it's in their employment manual. But uh, there's no way around it. You must pay overtime.
0: And also same thing with, I know it's rare in these instances to have salaried employees, but some practices do have salaried employees. So talk yeah. about being on salary and overtime.
1: Yeah, no, this is a great, and, and, you know, without getting into too much of the details, because there's a lot of fine-tuning, being a salaried employee is, is you can potentially avoid paying overtime under the federal rules if uh if they are also considered what's what's called exempt which basically means they're exempt from being paid overtime and 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 what really applies is that the person who's exempt is really someone who's got a lot of managerial control and power mm-hmm. so typically a a a real true office manager that can hire and fire and can manage employees and you know and is not doing clerical things like answering the phone up front or doing insurance billing but just is a true office manager somebody like that would be exempt uh, from overtime uh, and if they're paid a salary. Um, but if you can pay anybody, some other people's salaries, like a dental assistant, if you're in a dental office, or you know an optician in an optometric practice, or a nurse in, in a ph- uh, physician office, but that, does, that doesn't necessarily make them uh, exempt from overtime. They would also have to have that managerial control to to truly be exempt. So, so, so we sometimes see a problem with that.
0: Right. So then they would have to estimate what their hourly is and then pay them essentially time and a half for that overtime.
1: Yeah, that's exactly no. right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. The easy way to get around it is to have a a, a really strong time clock system, um, ideally one that's IP specific, so you know people can't clock in and clock out, you know, unless they're in the office. But having a true time clock system that measures it accurately is 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 a real um, is a, is a real lifesaver in those situations.
0: Okay, okay great so so the first area you talked about was wage and hour. what's another area that we want to be aware of as far as HR issues Ol yeah
1: so the second area I would say um, is a, is age discrimination ah. and and we see this again with 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 two subsets of, of doctors one are the younger doctors who are purchasing a practice right mm-hmm. and, and and what we see there is you know they buy a practice that someone has you know is is selling and and there's you know staff that and, and team members that have been there for many years and and then the person up front who's been there maybe for twenty thirty years and is older suddenly you know the new doctor is bringing in all this new technology and maybe a new you know new new practice management software or you know they're bringing more technology into the practice and suddenly that person can't handle it so they are quick to terminate that employee right. So that causes the age discrimination lawsuits because then it's they're, – they're really terminating them simply because of their age because they can't keep up, right? And, and that's a lot of times surprising to our younger doctors because they, you know, they don't think that's a problem, but it ends up you know, becoming a, a huge risk for them.
0: Because they think that, th- that it's, well, it's part of the job, so they should be able to do it. Is exactly. that their
1: logic? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's not their fault. No one, you know, no one's really spending the time to teach about this, this, these HR, you know, specifics, you know, in school or when they're coming out. So, so for them, it's completely logical. And I wouldn't disagree with that. But the law protects those types of employees that are, you know, older and and in most states, when we talk about older, we're really talking about 50 years and up is where it becomes a little bit more risky.
0: 50. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Okay. What What's the other area where age discrimination is a challenge?
1: So the other area would be with uh, doctors who are three to five years out from wow. selling their practice. And they sometimes get some advice that they need to reduce their overhead. And so some of these employees who have been there for a long time, you know, are making a good amount of money now because they've been there a long time and they're getting, you know, they've gotten raises all these years. And so we see some of our doctors getting ready for, to sell their practice, end up terminating their long-time employees, and if those employees have been there a while, then it comes back and haunts them because they're really just doing it because of their age and their compensation, and not any real um, any real reasons. So, so, so that is a little bit less common uh, because we, we we're seeing a little bit more of that those repercussions, but we still see it enough that you know it, it's important.
0: It's absolutely important, and it's that's interesting. Of course, we would coach them to just produce more so that your staff salary percentage is in line. But you exactly, know. <laughs> everybody's got a, a different philosophy. Okay, right. so age discrimination and really fifty seems to be the magic number.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it, some states use forty or or above as the as the criteria, but what we've discovered is that that that's rare to have a case for for a forty year old. Usually, the cases. Begin when they're approaching sixty, and you know they're in their fifties. So the closer you get to sixty, the more high risk you all you
0: are. Okay, okay, that's interesting. All right, Ali, and what would, what would a third area be that we want our listeners to be aware of?
1: So you know the third one is, is sort of a compilation of a couple of different things. It's 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 something I, I, I you know when I when I lecture I say there's three moments in your career that our doctors should never fire anybody and and th- I would say the third sort of piece of advice I would give is is this because. These moments are when, um, if you do fire somebody and you haven't done everything correctly in terms of protecting yourself, you're at a very high risk of getting sued. And so, so one of those is if you're pregnant, if you've got an employee who's pregnant and you try to terminate her, um, you're you're really setting yourself up for almost an immediate lawsuit. It's it's really easy for plaintiffs' lawyers to use that as, as the, the as as a guise, if you will, or as a reason for for the lawsuit. So definitely pregnancy. Um, the second one we talked about already, which is age. Um, if anybody's older than 50, you, you have to just be careful in terminate them. Terminating them, and you have to just take some steps to to make sure uh, to make sure you've you've done everything you need to do. Button up your legal l- legal uh, documents, mm-hmm. and then the third would be if someone is injured or has filed for disability or workers' comp. Um, that's also you know, that's also a very high risk time to let somebody go. And, you know, and it's funny, Kim, because I always get that call from our doctors and, you know, you know, they're, they're so, um, you know, they've got, they, they usually approach these things with such good hearts, Mm -hmm. but sometimes they don't like confrontation. And so they always come and they say, look, I, you know, uh, you know, she, she wasn't a great employee for a long time. I've been sort of trying to make her better. But now, you know, she's pregnant or now, you know, she's <laughs> hurt and I want to let her go because, you know, that, now it's a drain on the practice. And, and we unfortunately have to let them know that that's no longer possible and we have to hold on to her for for a while until, uh, you know, until it's a better time to to terminate them. So.
0: Yes, I see that. So tell me, let's go back to the pregnancy one. Um, tell me a little bit about when they come back from maternity leave. Is there a time period that we need to, if they, if we decide that they're not the employee that we want to have, is there a time period we need to keep them employed?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So, so most states provide about four months of leave once somebody comes back. Um, uh, or once they have the child and they're on maternity leave, right? And then once they come back, what I usually say is from that point on, you want to wait at Mm -hmm. least six months before you let somebody go. Now, ideally you'd wait a whole year, but six months for us in my practice has been sort of a magic number where, where if we've done it after that, and we've taken some steps prior to that, um, that our doctors have been safe and, and, they haven't been sort of drawn into, into litigation. But anything less than that, the risks just go up, right? And we, we talk a lot, Kim, about risk profiles. And what I would tell my doctor is your risk profile is super high if you're letting them go, you know, anytime within the six months after they return from, from, from leave.
0: So six months. So if we have hey, you know, just technically a pregnant person is pregnant for nine months and then maybe yep. she takes a couple months off and then is with the practice for another six months. That that's almost a year and a half. Sometimes that's
1: exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly, and that's what I say. is that you're you're stuck with her at that point for a year and a half. Uh-huh. That's okay. exactly right. Which is which is hard. You know, which is hard for a lot of practices. But you know, that's that's sort of what you know at that point you have to deal with. And and you know, this is one of the reasons. Um, this is one of the reasons why we are such big proponents of making a change when you need to right you know if 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 you want to you know write people up and 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 impact them and try to change behavior on the hr level do it right if you want to you know do new marketing strategies you know do it if you want to hire a consultant to get systems in place do it don't wait because mm-hmm. waiting doesn't help right it just it compounds the problem down the road
0: right absolutely and i know this gets it does get detailed. However, if you do have a challenge with an employee, tell me about documenting those conversations. Does it have to be formal? How would you suggest a doctor go about doing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we we follow this sort of theory regarding um, writing write ups called progressive discipline, which basically means the first time you write somebody up, it, it can be or or they have an issue, you should ha- have a verbal conversation with them, and maybe you take some notes and for for their file and you just sort of leave it at that they don't need to sign anything and you just sort of document it what has occurred the second time you want to document it in writing have a verbal conversation and make them sign the document okay um okay. and then the third time which is sort of their final warning then you do the same thing you write them up you make them sign it and if they do it a fourth then at that point you let them go um and if you know one of the big you know one of the big reasons why uh, we like a system like HR for Health, too, is because, because everything is timestamped with the employees mm-hmm. and they electronically sign things. It makes things really simple to document about when was the oral warning, when was that report done, when was the written warnings done, so that there's no, there's no ambiguity about yes. dates and timelines.
0: Right. I love that. I love that four-step process because I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of our clients have with, well, is it okay for me to fire? When is it okay? And I always say you have to document, but I love that one, two, three, and four. Um, that gives them a little certainty. I've always read, you know, if you read some leadership books and executives that are real successful, they always say that they're typically quick to hire and slow to fire. Mm-hmm. And are, are you seeing that with doctors as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's a... It, 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 you know, hiring the right person is really, really tough, and it's a lot of it's a lot of work. And and there are definitely tools that are available that make uh, that make the hiring a little bit less risky. But it's uh, it's a challenge. I mean, finding the right person for your team, you know, culturally, you know, and otherwise, it's uh, it can be difficult. But but I think if you're doing all the right things from a legal perspective, um, and and you've just sort of done what you need to do. It's the chance of getting stuck in something that's going to be legally tough for you is, is ends up being really low.
0: Okay, interesting. So, Ali, we always like to have our listeners get to know the uh, the guests that we have on our podcast. So, um, you've given us <laughs> sure. such, such amazing um, advice, legal advice that I think every practice can take away. So that's terrific, and. Um, I would love to know, you know, what's some of the best personal or professional advice you've ever received in your career? You know,
1: you know, I would say, uh, there was something a lawyer actually told me a few years ago, um, and, and he, he was a super busy guy and, and just sort of working a lot of hours and a, and a lot of this stuff. And, and he said, he said to me, and he, he, he's he been in practice for many years. And he he turned around and said to me that the one thing he wishes he had done sooner in his life was, uh, he said, you know, I, I wish I had dated my spouse sooner. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I always, that always stuck with me because, you know, as, as doctors, as lawyers, as a consultant, like you, you know, we're all busy, we're all running around. And sometimes we forget, you know, we forget about, um, the things that really matter in our lives, which is the reason we're doing all this, is for our families, and is for our spouses, is for our kids, right? And and I've always tried to keep that in the back of my mind to to say, you know, I I, I should always date my 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 wife, you know, and, and and not uh and and not and not take anything for granted. So
0: absolutely, I love that, and creating some, if if we can have balance in our life, creating that, that's that's awesome. With with all the work that you do, giving back to to your to your clients, you need to give back to your family too. That's great. Right. Yeah. Do so you have a favorite quote or favorite book you've, you've read recently?
1: Oh my gosh. You know, I have to tell you my favorite book that I think changed my l- life was one I read, um, when I was 14 years old, Kim.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, I think honestly it's driven, it's been every part of sort of what I've done moving forward. Um, if, you know in terms of being goal oriented and result focused or whatnot and um it's it's uh it's a book that I think you're familiar with too it, it's it's power by tony robbins and 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 it's funny because the thing that I took um, the thing that I took really out of out of that for me was all about goal setting right yes. and and writing that down and um, and it really It really, it really works because if you, you know, if you, if you write down your goals, whether it's personal or professional, and you look at them every single day, then I really, truly believe that every step you take, right, every step. If you're coming with, with you know, sort of a a strong heart, and you're coming in, you know, with, you know, with, uh, with the right intentions. Everything you do from that day on will be about achieving those goals, and sometimes they're yes. big steps sometimes they're small steps but you know i uh i I really believe in that up and then up until like four or five years ago, I used to read it every couple of years and i haven 't read it for a little while now but but uh, i 've sort of graduated if you will to other things
0: <laughs> <laughs> sure uh, it's really
1: it 's really a lot of fun and and, and uh, i've always enjoyed uh, i always enjoyed that but I got that from my brother in law when I was 14 and I got some tapes of Tony Robbins too, you know, when the, when there were tape players.
0: Yeah, sure. I still
1: have them. I still have them.
0: <laughs> that's great. No, that's so wonderful. What an amazing gift that your brother-in-law gave you that impacted your life. I mean, to, to, to get exposed at the age fourteen is is terrific. That's awesome. I, I,
1: I kind of joke with him that he must have thought I was really lost. I was like, hey, you need you need some you, know, you need some sage advice.
0: Exactly. It's like what is what is this person trying to tell me? Yeah, right. That's, exactly. Yeah, I love it. Well, you've given us so much great information. Is there anything else that you would like to tell our listeners that they can implement to put into action today to help their practice?
1: You know, I would I would say if there was one parting you know if there was one parting sort of advice, I guess. I would say focus. Um, you know, focus on getting a a, a really strong uh, employment manual that's customized to you. Get a system uh, that's attached to that, so that you can really monitor your employees, and you can really use metrics to um, to really make your decisions about. Whether to give people raises or or helping them improve in different areas of, of their of of what they're doing for you in, in the practice, and um, those those small things make the hugest you know impact if you will in 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 a practice and in terms of employee satisfaction or whatnot. Um, so it would be really to focus on HR and to really just sort of focus on getting compliance, so you don't you know you you, you can rest easy.
0: Well, and I think you just said it, uh, uh, the more compliant they are, the less they have to think about it because it is such a, a daunting, or they think it's a daunting issue. Um, and it doesn't have to be if you get your ducks in a row, right? Yeah,
1: that's exactly right. That's awesome. exactly right.
0: Wonderful. Well, we're going to have all of the information on how people can contact you in the show notes, both on our website and iTunes. But Ali, how can our listeners learn more about you?
1: Uh, well, uh, so our website, uh, which is, uh, dm, uh, council.com and, um, that's uh, you know Dental Medical Council, C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com. That tells you a little bit more about our firm. And, and I invite anybody who wants to sort of just chat and, and, and talk about different strategies and, and different things to just call our office. And you know our number is 925-999-8200. And I'm always happy to talk to everyone. And, and, uh, and if there's any sort of advice that I can give uh, over the phone to guide people down the right path, um, it always, uh, I always look forward to doing that.
0: Wonderful. Well, I know Ali, you've been so amazing with my clients and our fortune clients across the country with just giving just who you are, giving of yourself and giving of your knowledge and giving people that peace of mind and letting them know it's going to be okay. And so thank you so much for who you you are as a friend of fortune and who you are for this industry.
1: Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. Thank you very much. No, it's my pleasure. It's truly my pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Practice Mastery Podcast. For more information on fortune management and to find an event in your area, please visit fortunemgmt.com.